I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How's everybody doing today? I want to welcome Dr. Marty Becker to the Unimpressed podcast. And I'm unimpressed that he is not my veterinarian for my cats. This guy, I don't know. He's uh, very, very busy. I don't know how he has time to do anything else but his job. How are we doing today, doctor? I want to welcome you to the Unimpressed podcast. Doing good, friend. Look like Captain Kangaroo here, but I've got a skylights here at this almost heaven ranch. I live on a horse ranch deep in the mountains. Can't do much to block a skylight off, so. Where I live is in Boundary County, Idaho, and on the Tournament of Champions on Jeopardy with Ken Jennings. The final Jeopardy question on Tournament of Champions last year was, this county touches two states and a foreign country and is located in what is often called the chimney of this state. The answer is Idaho. And up where I live, it's the panhandle. It's 45 miles wide and 100 miles tall, that straight rectangle. And so if I'm looking over that way, 15 miles is Montana. That way to the west is Washington State, 30 miles and north. It's six miles to Canada. You know, when you got big tree wood in the background, it must be a pretty big ranch. It's a big ranch. If I told you we live in a 9,000 square foot log home, my next door neighbor lives a mile away and he just sold a 6,000 square foot log home on 80 acres for $800,000. A crazy thing is I have fiber optic internet, next day FedEx in or out. This county, by the way, is 90% forest and it's 75% owned by the federal or state government. So it'll never be crowded. So you have to create your own fun right there at home, right? Yeah. And you know, I've flown 6 million miles on Delta, 89 countries. I was the resident vet on Good Morning America for 17 years. I still do Dr. Oz and Rachel Ray and Martha Stewart and Kelly and Ryan and all those things. But in 2018, I was only home 53 days at this ranch. And then my kids and my wife had an intervention. (laughs) I'd be 67 years old. I needed to slow down. I gave my word, but it took me a year to unwind it because I'd already made all these commitments. So 2020 was going to be the year that I would only be gone 50 days. But then COVID got in the way and just, you know, I went took a barrel roll off my hamster wheel. But what I found out was how tired I was from having been running so fast. And I'm very, very close to my my wife, Teresa, of 42 years. I didn't think I could possibly love her anymore, but I had a chance to look at her diaries, which I knew she had detailed diaries and I'd always wanted to look at them. She saw someday we'll look at them, you know, someday. Well, someday came. And you'll love this, John. I wanted to know what she thought the day she met me. I thought she'd go, I met the man of my dreams. He's everything I wanted. He's so handsome. First thing I did was turn to that because it was St. Patrick's Day in 2008. I turned to it and what she put in her diary was, he's not very good looking, but there's something about him. <laughs> so that's what I found <laughs> out. So it didn't quite work out like I'd hoped. I got to meet my wife from age 12 to 22. So I, now I know her from that period for so I felt even more in love with her. So there were some good things happened from COVID. Where you're at now in Idaho, is this where you grew up? I grew up in southern Idaho, potato country. I grew up down in southern Idaho, very near the Nevada border. 
down in that beautiful gotcha. farm country. Then I've lived up here for 23 years up here in extreme northern Idaho. And I practice about 40 miles away at a resort town called Sandpoint, Idaho. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You know, reading this fear-free thing, what's the psychology behind this process? Let's start overall first. In 1963, when the Beatles invaded America, there was a snowstorm in southern Idaho where I live. The snow was parallel to the ground. It was a whiteout. It was probably with the wind chill, 30 below zero. And I asked my dad if we could bring Luke the Labrador Retriever in the house. And he's, uh, no, he's made for that weather. He's from this region of Canada. You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, he resisted. I persisted. And he said, oh, all right, tonight only on the linoleum on the porch. And when it stops snowing, he's got to go back outside. So for any of your listeners that are young, linoleum is vinyl flooring. So Luke, the lavender retriever, went on the porch and he immediately like fell down. Like he'd never experienced the surface before. Like, oh gosh. And the worst fear any animal has, by the way, is the fear of falling. Is the worst fear. But he kind of infantry crawled over to the kitchen and he stuck his head in there and he looked both ways and he's like, God, this is nice. I've been outside in this uh, the barnyard out here, chain on a chain, and you guys are living in here. And took off and ran around the house. That zoom around the room, crazy shit. And he flew up on the couch and his old tail, like boom, 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 boom. And oh God, Dad, look how happy Luke is, you know? Well, literally and figuratively, he never left. He became an indoor-outdoor dog. He still had a utilitarian role to retrieve ducks he shot, to herd cattle, to guard our stuff, but now he took on an emotional role. If you were rural, it was kind of barnyard to backyard to back door to bedroom to sleep or from the kennel to the kitchen to eat. If you grew up in the city, really a lot of Sunday project dog houses that dad built, and they went from outside to inside to underneath the covers you could say. But these pets before that were outside didn't have a lot of the anxieties because they, they were desensitized. You know, they were experiencing noises and thunderstorms and all these different things. And now pets are literally born retired, which is not good because they, they have a genetic exuberance for activity because boredom leads to behavior issues and behavior issues lead to relinquishment and worse. But today's pets are a lot more anxious than they were before because of the environments they're raised in. Now, Going to the veterinarian was like Fight Club. Think about this. If you're a pet, you're the equivalent of a human toddler. You don't know why going to the visit is going to help you. It was a vaccination. They have no idea it helps them. Checking a wound, looking at their sore ear, palpating their sore joint, squeezing their inflamed bladder. They have no idea why it benefits them. They can't anticipate or expect the relief of pain or fear, anxiety, and stress, even if it's moments away. They are taken against their will. Lastly, they have no control to flee. 
So if a human goes to pharmacy or COVID vaccination clinic, they know what the benefit is. If they're going voluntarily, they know how long it's going to take about. And if they freak out, they can leave. So pets basically have, they think they're going to be hurt or killed most of the time when they go to the vet. So what we did was looked at a way, how do you look at both the physical and emotional well-being of animals? How do you take the pet out of petrified? How do you put the treat into treatment? And that's what we've accomplished with uh, Fear Free Pets to train veterinarians, groomers, trainers, people that do daycare. And then fearfreeshelters.com is complimentary to all shelter employees, volunteers, all rescue employees and volunteers. And Fear Free Happy Homes is free to the public. So now any pet parent, they have thunderstorm phobias. Their pet has noise phobias like 4th of July. You're having house soiling issues from interspecies aggression. There's a place to go to get the best information on the planet. You're saying in some sense, our pets are like in concentration camps. They are, you know, zoos are a lot better at enrichment than we are. I live up here in northern Idaho. Now, this is the part that's funny, John. Within a hundred feet of my front door, we had a grizzly bear in October. I've actually had a black bear standing on my front steps. It's like the ark unloaded up here. So we see wolves frequently and coyotes. You don't drive down the mile to the highway and see a waddling wolf or a corpulent coyote with a deer gut, you know, by the side of the road going, oh, God, I let myself go. There's all these stick-thin dog models on Animal Planet. You know, I can't get in my pants. I, it's bikini season, you know. They're scavengers, and they'll happily dig their grave with their food bowl if you're a pet. So it takes six steps to eat if you're a wild canid, like a wolf, like a coyote, like a fox. you got to detect your prey, pursue it, apprehend Hand it, kill it, compete with the pack, and finally you belly up to the beast to eat. That's step six. When you throw your food in a bowl or plop it in a bowl and they eat it, you're step six. And that takes a kindergarten degree. All I got to do is wolf it down. Well, what happens is you need to feed the body and feed the mind. You should not feed out of food bowls. You should feed out of food puzzles or food dispensing devices. So there's some basic enrichment activities there, but every species, every breed has some genetic exuberance that you need to explore with it. If you're in a zoo, what you do for a polar bear is different than what you do for a walrus which is different than what you do for a rhino. Well, I mean, that's interesting because my wife, she's a animal activist. She hates anything captive, you know, zoos, and she doesn't like going to zoos, circuses, all that kind of stuff. But we have two cats, so in reality, she may be treating her cats worse than the zoo would be treating her cats. I would say that is that can very well be valid. Let me tell you something we found out, John. If you think of the basic needs, if I'd have gone back 10 years or I had an awakening that a board of veterinary behaviorists gave a talk and I had this awakening that that forever changed my life. I was looking to slow down and instead I've been speeding up. That's why my family had an intervention with me. I'm so <laughs> passionate about this. If you'd asked me in 2009 when Fear Free started, what are the basic requirements for a cat? I would have said food, water, shelter, veterinary care. That's not complete. We now know that a cat needs a place to climb, a place to scratch, and a place to hide. Those are not wants. Those are absolute needs. And if you look at their life, you know, everybody that takes care of a cat, what can we do to make sure they're happy, healthy, and have enrichment? So we tend to put litter boxes where they're convenient for us, you know, in the laundry room that has a surface we can clean or in a bathroom, not knowing that they've been in there before when the washer started and started jumping around. Or if they're in a bathroom, there's their access is blocked by another cat that bullies them. 
And I'll give you an example. You come home, you have two dogs and you come home and the one dog tears into the other dog and starts biting it. And you'd go, Sparky, you're a bad boy. You're a bad boy for doing that. And then you coddle the other dog. Actually, the one that you have to correct is the dog that gets attacked because the uh-huh. dog that gets attacked provokes the other dog to bite it so that it gets this coddling and sympathy. It sounds counterintuitive, but we've learned there's 93 boarded veterinary behaviorists. And because the, the bedrock of Fear Free, all of these different components I told you is based on boarded veterinary behaviorists, they have the education, training and the experience. And we're so far along the path now to not just dogs and cats, but we just finished the equine course, then comes wildlife, dairy cattle. So we're really on a global movement to look at the emotional well-being of all animals. How do we translate that to humans? You know, why don't we dive deep and create a philosophy with humans with anxiety? To me, it just seems like there's not an overall no. agenda. My, wa- my wife would shoot me if she's listening because, you know, she has with the Bible, everything she turns over to, to her. Her faith is like a mile wide and a mile deep. And for me, I, it's like I ran through the Bible on skills. You know, I'm a believer, but the reason I'm saying that, prefacing in that, a human's really just another animal. Mm-hmm. COVID is a great example of what happens when people, basically the whole population is stressed. There's a friend of mine, I've written 23 books. I've had three New York Times bestsellers. I've sold over 8 million books. One of the books was The Healing Power of Pets. It came out exactly the week of 9-11. Award-winning book, not the best time for a book to come out. But I interviewed Ed Cregan from the Mayo Clinic because he had written over 300 prescriptions for pets at the mothership in Rochester, Minnesota. So I interviewed him. Let's go forward to 2020. I called Dr. Cregan up. You remember one New York Times bestselling book called How Not to Become My Patient. Dr. Cregan is quadruple boarded, internal medicine, oncology, palliative care, and hospice. So mm-hmm. I call him up and I say, Dr. Cregan, how do I protect my family from COVID? My friends, my neighbors, my church family, everybody that I know. What can we do? Is it, I was going to think it'd be some mega doses of vitamin D or something, right? That they would know. He said, Marty, you know the answer, it's your pets. And he said, I've actually been on calls with other Sloan Kettering and Emory and Harvard and Cleveland Clinic. And they wanted the government to start promoting that people draw, lean in closer to their pets. I said, really? Why do you say that? He says, well, listen, the, you're going to eat either get COVID and survive, or you're going to get vaccinated and have immunity because of your immune system. What's the enemy of the immune system? Cortisol. Where does cortisol come from? Fear, anxiety, and stress. So the more stressed you are, the more cortisol you have, which weakens the immune system. All right. How are you going to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress? Well, pets are already in 75% of U.S. households. It's a medicine that has no side effects. It goes down easy. It tastes good. It is trusted. And what does it take to act it a bacon strip. I mean, it, it doesn't yeah. cost anything. So the healing power of pets is you gain it through intimacy, close physical contact. It's really, you know, you can't have a dog outside and you see it through the sliding glass door or pass one on the street and get the healing power of pets. So those of us, uh, you know, that have a dog by us in bed or on the couch or your cats are up in your lap while you're working, that's how you get the healing power of pets. Really, it's interesting to think there hasn't been another domesticated species in 5,000 years and only dogs and cats have broken down our hearts and homes in mass, but there's reciprocity there. That's why it works. So the, the dog, let's take for example, when you pet your dog or stroke your dog or sitting on your lap, in about 90 seconds, you get a massive release of oxytocin, the hug hormone, phenylethylamine, the active ingredient in chocolate, prolactin, think of a mother nursing a baby, and serotonin, the, the runner's high. Well, guess what? The dog gets exactly the same
same biochemical spot tree. You're not going to bring a cow in here and the cow's not going to do the same thing for us, nor is it going to have, or a lamb or anything, it's not going to get the same biochemical spot tree. That's why we've grown so close together. So you're saying if you're less stressed, right, and animals can obviously help that, then you have less of a chance of catching COVID. If you get it, you have a better chance of surviving. And when you get vaccinated, you're going to have a higher immunity level. This has not been tested in dogs, but they've tested some people. When you get a flu vaccine and they, they look at these scores, how stressed you are. So you, you self-report and then they have experts looking at video of how stressed the person was. Mm-hmm. And then they look at immunity levels of, you know, people relaxed, people in the middle and people highly stressed. Then they look at immunity levels, you know, 60 days, 90 days and six months in a year. You have a lot higher immunity levels if you're calm. If you're stressed and have cortisol, a lot lower immunity levels. That's where the rub comes in, right? When the cell part comes in, it's like this information you don't hear. And there's where the fine line of information and dilution of information comes from. If people would dive deeper, maybe they would know these things and they would take a different approach. Very, very interesting information. That's something I've never thought about. I take superfoods every day. You know, we eat organic. Putting something in your system is going to upset that balance. It bothers me a little bit. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, realistically, there are some side effects, right? If you had severe allergies and you had a pet in your lap all the time or had to sleep in bed, you know, if you have allergies, your bedroom needs to be a pet-free zone. You could possibly get something called, remember cat scratch fever, Ted Nugent? Yeah. You know, if a cat got thing and scratched you, you could get an infection. But basically, there's no side effects. It's something that is natural that this relationship between pets and people is really a healing power. That's the great thing about it. And it, uh, you know, back before I wrote the book, I had experienced the healing power of pets. I'd witnessed it in other people and I'd intuited it to be true. But what we set out to do was to prove it's true. And I had a New York Times reporter for a co-author and we did nine reporting trips to 27 states. We read 23 books and 200 studies. The healing power of pets about killed me to help write this book. But we started to see you know, actually how this works. We went to Duke University and they could show us that when uh, in positive PET scan, positive emission tomography, that when somebody was rhythmically stroking a pet, it actually blocked the transmission of pain from the periphery to the central nervous system. Uh, it's, you know, it's incredible. For a fact, if you have a heart attack and you have a dog, you're six times more likely to be alive a year later than somebody without a dog. And why is that? That's why Dr. Cregan was so good about writing a on prescription pad for people that didn't have a pet. You, it gets you up and moving and it reduces your anxiety and stress. And you want to, a lot of times people just want to stay alive for the dog or the cat to get back home. If you have a cat, you're 70% less likely to have any cardiovascular incident. That includes a stroke, a heart attack. And, you know, I grew up like probably like you, John, where you think, boy, if you have allergies, you shouldn't have cats. Why do kids have peanut allergies we never used to see it? Why do kids have so many allergies, asthma, and eczema when it was rare growing up? It's because of the hygiene hypothesis. People are living too clean of lives. And once they get into an adult mature immune system, they blow up and now have all these problems. We now know 15 or 16 peer-reviewed international studies now. The earlier you get pets in life, the less allergies, asthma, and eczema you'll have your entire life. So uh, for anybody listening, you don't want to wait till the kids are in junior high to get a pet. 
the sooner you get pets, the better. And if you have a mixture, like you have dogs and cats, even better. And so it kind of goes into the thing of everybody's chasing eczema now. You look on TV ad, TV ad after TV ad, after TV ad about clearing your skin up. Uh-huh. If they had just had a pet when they were young, they wouldn't have to be doing using all this crazy stuff to knock their immune system back. Now, do you have a doctor do little sensibility towards animals? Can you like look at a pet, look at how they are acting and get a sense of where they're at mentally? Well, I, this is funny. My wife would get to kill me if she hears me saying this. I'm a, <laughs> actually a, a below average veterinarian. If I look at my skills in the exam room, with pets and people, I'll give myself a 10. I love people. I love pets. And I have this rapport, this thing. And in that sense, like I got all my fingers still and no scars. I have never in 40 years of practice been seriously ever. Once I go in the back, you've got to look at the diagnostic tests and you look at the radiograph images. You look at the cultures and all these different things and do a diagnosis and a treatment plan. I give myself a five. When Uh I go into surgery, I'm lousy. I give myself a one or two because good surgeons are really careful with tissue planes and just, it's a very, it's a very much of a talent. So I have always had this really good relationship with animals. But what I found out in 2009, when I had this awakening with the lecture of a board of veterinary behaviors named Karen Overall, was what I thought was collateral damage in a veterinary hospital. You know, because you see these signs of fear, anxiety, and stress. For a dog, it's yawning. It's licking their lips. It's panning. They're not yawning because they're bored. They're not panning in the car in the clinic because it's hot. It's stress. They shiver. They shake. They pant. They yawn. They salivate. They hide. They curl. They lean away. They're whale-eyed. They jump. They have a furrowed brow. Their ears are back. Cats, we used to joke that they were effed going to the clinic. And not effed like you think. Bite, flight freeze or fidget. They fight, bite, scratch, take flight, fly around the room, jump all over the thing, freeze or fidget. You're really nervous. I love frozen cats before fear free because you could just do anything to them. It was like a fur covered statue. You could examine anything you want as long as you want it. Nothing happened. Well, that cat is in what's called collapsing immobility. I used to see dogs come in the exam room and any of your listeners out there that have ever had their own dog go in the exam room and lay down with its on the floor with its head between its legs and its eyes closed. I thought that dog was relaxed enough to almost nap. That is the most stressed possible thing your dog can do. So frozen cat and that dog laying down. Here's what happened. There's something called the defense cascade. Right now, if in your studio or my house, I heard a gunshot or a scream, I'd be alert. And then it's fight or flight. And finally, they close in on you and you're stuck upstairs and they're coming to get you and you hear them coming, you freeze. You can't move. That's why in World War II, even if there was a firing squad why people didn't run they can't and so that dog is sitting there waiting to die the cat's sitting there waiting to die you don't want to feel like you're hurting your pet by trying to help it. so i want to take it to the vet when it's going to be so stressful for them i don't feel good about that maybe i'll go on the internet see if i can find something or just hope it goes away so that's one of the things we've solved is now in a fear-free practice the dog will actually drag the owner into the hospital and the, the pet parent has to try to drag it out. It's the exact opposite of trying to drag your dog in or the cats in the carrier like a wildcat in there flying around in there and going to come out like a furry jack-in-the-box with a hairy hand grenade. Instead, the dogs drag the owner in there, what we call put the treat into treatment. That we give things that pets like that they don't get anywhere else. I wouldn't say cats are dragging their owners in to see them. 
but 85% of the cats that come to the practice I work at take treats, 85%. So they're not going to take treats when you're really stressed. It's interesting. You live where you do. You're surrounded by nature, right? Do you think that keeps your sensitivities intact for what you do? Living in nature, coming home, there's a little bit of quietness there. You don't have a lot of friction, not a lot of vibration. Yeah. No, you know what? My one is my relationship with my wife. I absolutely adore my wife. We're very close, and cl- a very close family. Two, both of us joke, you know, the old joke, like the canoe tips over, who do you save? I've got a dog, cutie pie. My dad used to call him Heinz 57 or a mutt. I actually coined the term canine cocktail. With genetics testing, you can see, okay, he's got a shot of this, a shot of this, a jigger of this, a splash of this. You know what it is. He's a Dachshund Chihuahua Jack Russell cross. And he's like two dogs long and a half a dog tall. You know, the real long <laughs> ones, you know. Yeah. I'd do anything for that dog. We've had six dogs up until about a year ago. We lost four dogs to cancer and old age right in a row. But the relationship with our pets is such a modulator. And then the third thing is definitely this ranch. It's an oasis of beauty, goodness, and serenity. And up here, again, I've been in 89 countries, all 50 states, all seven continents. And you get away from that trap of hustle and stuff. And so up here, you feel like your whole soul's got bubble wrap around it. You know, you, you go outside and there you're around nature and the air is clean and there's no traffic. You don't hear anything and just blessed to live up in this part of the world. Have you always had that passion? Have you always had that drive? When did you know as, as a young kid, young adult that you really wanted to take this thing, doing what you do to an extreme level? My sister, is a physician. I grew up on a small family farm and ranch in southern Idaho in potato country. We had dairy cows, beef cows, chicken, pigs, horses, sheep, goats. Again, it was like the ark unloaded there for domestic animals. But we really broke the back of that small family farm to put four kids through college. And at one time, I thought about being a physician, but I didn't really like the fact that people complained all the time. When a woman gets an ovary hysterectomy, you know, it's days and complaints and stuff. When a dog has an ovary hysterectomy and 15 minutes after waking up, they're, they're fine. That's just an example. I'm not saying my wife is a lot tougher than I am. <laughs> Trust me. I'm a, you know, she could have a burn the size of a pipe plate and not complain. And I get a cold sore the size of a pencil eraser and feel like I need to be hospitalized. I always loved animals and I wanted to be a dairy practitioner. And the very first day of school, the dean, Leo Bustad, got up and gave a talk on the human-animal bond. He was a Jewish prisoner of war at Sobibor, and there was a Belgian Malinois, looks like a German shepherd, that was there to scare everybody, but it befriended him. And so that human-animal bond, that affection connection that we call the bond, it's like love, John. It's, it's nebulous, but easily understood by anybody that's ever felt it. He was such a proponent of it that he, after he gave this talk on the human-animal bond, I decided I'm going to be a companion animal practitioner. And at the end of his introductory talk, he asked for volunteers for the People Pet Partnership that matched elderly people with homeless pets. I went up and volunteered. So my dairy career lasted 30 minutes, started companion animal practice, was always focused on the human animal bond and the healing power of pets. He was the really the first person on the planet that looked at the human animal health connection. And then 
I was going to, you know, slow down. And I heard that lecture and thought if everybody heard what I heard, they wouldn't practice the same way. They wouldn't take care of their pets. So off we went. I, I thought I could popularize it like I did the human animal bond. I thought I could use my network and my dog and determination to make it work. And I have to tell you, my wife and I, I wish you could meet her sometimes. She's amazing. We have tried to give away 50% of what we've made our whole 42 years of marriage. Wow. And this thing with Fear Free, it's privately held, but we've already given away 76% of the stock and soon to be another 10%. And other than enough to pay ourselves back on our retirement, it all goes to charity. Interesting. You know, you talk about healers and spiritual people, and it's definitely an interesting take, right? Being able to diagnose an animal and understanding what they're doing for the human population, that's a piece of the puzzle, right? I always talk about spirituality. Whatever your belief is, a church or a shaman, whatever it is, I mean, it seems like there's more and more of this better energy is coming to light because I think maybe there's too much negative energy. So do you have any protégés or that are kind of following in your footsteps? I got asked this twice yesterday. What happens if Marty Becker wasn't part of Fear Free? From the beginning, it was created to be we, not me. Before I had that awakening in 2009, I would, like many other people, would stretch cats out into two zip codes. You know, their head was in Newark and their ass was in New York City. I mean, that's the way we were trained to do it. You grab by the scruff, you pull their legs out, and you stretch them out like taffy. That was what we were trained to do. If there was a dog, we were trying to trim the nails on. There would be, you know, two technicians trying to hold it down, then another one, and then you'd add another one. And you just keep adding people like a rugby scrum to get the nails trimmed or get a blood draw. And I thought, uh, while it's troubling, I didn't realize the damage that we were doing. When we had, and I had this awakening by this Board of Veterinary Behaviors, Karen, overall, we went right back to the Board of Veterinary Behaviors because they told me this stuff in the past, but I like every other veterinarian that went in one ear and out the other. So we spent five years figuring out how to do it. So Fear Free was born in an instant. It took five years to develop and was an overnight success. So there's 256 people on the Fear Free Advisory Group. There's 93 Board of Veterinary Behaviors, about 70 are on the Fear Free Advisory Council. And this is something that's pretty amazing that I'm really proud about. There's 30 veterinary schools in the United States. At any given time, there's about 4,500 veterinary students. 22 of the 30 veterinary schools now require fear-free certification of all students before graduation. At any given time, there's 45,000 veterinary nursing students, or you think veterinary technicians, nurse, they're interchangeable. 60% of all students, nursing tech students, have to be fear-free certified for graduation. So they're learning our vocabulary. They're learning our protocols. The second thing is fearfreeshelters.com is an incredible runaway success. I think in in 18 months, we've had 70,000 shelter and rescue employees and volunteers have gone through the online five-hour course, which is complimentary. And and they now are trained to look at the emotional well-being of animals. You can't have a pet that's terrified of thunderstorms or fireworks. You can't have a cat that's terrified of another cat. All these different things, you want it to be happy and calm and to have enrichment. You don't want it to have fear, anxiety, and stress and no enrichment. Your people that watch this and listen is going to be interested. There are more practicing attorneys in New York City than there are practicing veterinarians in the United States. There are only... 70,000 companion animal veterinarians in the United States. We wouldn't even fill an NFL stadium. We largely steer 
a segment of the economy that's about 120 billion. It's higher than all movies. This is Redbox in theaters, all music, iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, CDs, concerts, and video games combined is spent on these pets. So it's an amazing, vibrant industry. You said you were talking about food. I mean, what is your protocol feeding the animals? Dr. Oz calls me America's veterinarian. I met Dr. Oz about five years before he started doing Good Morning America. He wrote a book called You, the Owner's Man. And I went up to Columbia University to talk to him about part of what I thought was important was the healing power of pets they hadn't talked about in there. So I met him and then he starts doing Good Morning America. We had the same producer. He was so good. Oprah got him. She started calling him America's doctor. Then when he started his own show, I started his show as, as the resident veterinarian. He started calling me America's veterinarian. So that's kind of the title I have. I tell you that because, of course, every food company would love to say that America's veterinarian feeds their food. So I could get any food I wanted for free, like a pallet full. But I buy my food just like you do. So I, I don't want to be biased in that. And what you're led to believe is that it has to be, you know, it should be, should be grain-free. It should be all meat. It should be a raw diet. It should be this. And you often you see these advertisements in their Facebook feeds. Of, you know, the number one cause of cancer is food. The number one cause of skin problems is food. Okay. How, what percent of skin problems are food allergies? 3%. Okay. So those people think, oh my God, I got to get something grain free or this has got a novel protein. I need to feed uh, duck or I need to feed bison or something that doesn't know. Not true. And then they look at obesity, by the way, 66% of America's pets are overweight or obese, which almost exactly mirrors 66% of Americans are overweight or obese. Corn kills if you go to the pet store. My God, it's, you know, you, you feed this, it has no corn, it's going to do this, this, and this. Corn is an excellent protein carbohydrate source for pet food. I feed one dog, it's Royal Canin. It's a breed-specific food for boxers. And another one is on a prescription diet, by Hill's prescription diet, and then Alpo. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what I do as a veterinarian, when I, I tell people, if you want your dog to take a $5 poop, go ahead and buy the super premium foods. It's going to be absolutely zero benefit. If you don't want to buy the cheapest, you don't want to buy the old Roy because it just has more filler in it. And your dog's going to go, it's going to do fine. It's just going to go to the bathroom a lot more. You're going to have more feces, more waste products. So I tell people, listen, I'm going to recommend it. Tell me where you're going to buy your food and I'll tell you what I have some recommendations. So if they're going to buy in the grocery store, I'll say Imes is a great food. Prino One is a great food. If you're going to buy at a big box store, Kirkland brand is a great food to feed. If you're going to buy in a feed store or online, Prina Pro Plan. I'm not going to list any names that I think, but it's a completely marketing and a waste of money. And I'll tell you what, there was a recent study by Consumer Reports that interviewed boarded veterinary nutritionists at university and asked them, how many of you have seen a case of a nutritional deficiency in the last year? You know how many have seen a case of nutritional deficiency? Zero. Huh. How many? But then how many of you have seen a case of uh, nutritional excesses? All of them had multiple cases of people doing their home-cooked diets, with feeding all chicken. And there's nothing wrong with cooking for your pet as long as you work with somebody that actually is knowledgeable and knows how to create the diet. But most people are unwilling or unable to do it long-term. But remember, John, 
you don't put it in a bowl. You feed out of a food puzzle or food dispensing device. So we pour our Prita Pro Plan, our Royal Canaan, our, uh, even the prescription diet food. We've had them in these things where the kibble goes in and they have to manipulate it or turn it or spin it or lick it or move it in order uh-huh. to eat. So you're a proponent more more dry food than wet food? That doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. We used to think wet food caused more periodontal disease, but that's not true. A lot of cats tend to be underhydrated, so a lot of times it's best for them to eat a canned food. We have cats that eat canned foods, and what we do is we have these little tiny lids, like went on a, a yogurt container or cottage cheese, and we just put the food in different places around the house so the cat has to go on a search pattern to try to find it. Do you want to recreate those six steps we talked about? Detect, gotcha. pursue it, apprehend it, you know, get to eat it. But just please, I'm telling you out there, anybody that listens to this, don't make most of your discretionary dollars go to super premium foods when it does absolutely no good. You're basically like an encyclopedia for pets. Do you do anything outside of that thought process to get away from the pet world? So for fun would be I when 9-11 happened, uh, when my book came out, uh, I, like most of America, was devastated. And they had a program called Keep America Rolling because nobody's buying cars. So we bought a new pickup truck, crew cab. That's still the pickup truck I drive today. So there that thing is 20 years old. That's my primary vehicle. I'm going to fly to Chicago later today. That's what I'm going to drive to the airport out of Spokane. But I've always loved the travel part to go see different parts of the world. So that's that's how I got to 89 countries, all seven continents. Just getting outdoors, like hiking, going out and horn hunting. You go out these deer shed this time of year and you go horn hunting, reading a nice book, a lot of quiet things. Because, you know, when you travel, you're in the hustle and bustle. So I like to kind of cocoon myself nice. with something quiet and nice and slow. What's the future look like for Dr. Becker? I think sometimes God played favorites with me. I mean, I don't know how I ended up being able to live this incredible incredible life. I love money because money allows me to give more away. So I want to make more to give more away. This 50% that we've given was not a religious connection. It just relates. It's a, it's a whole nother story of why do we do that? I want to make a difference more than make money, but to make money, you can make a difference. And I want to make these impacts that are significant, lasting, and measurable. So there's four things I'm working on. One is to look at the emotional well-being of animals. And fear free, again, if you maybe list those websites, fearfreepets.com, fearfreehappyhomes.com, fearfreeshelters.com, is get everybody looking at the emotional well-being of all animals globally. We're already in 56 countries. It's translated into seven languages. That's got roots and shoots. The second is increased the number of applicants for veterinary school. There's only 1.4 applicants for every opening in veterinary school now. When I was in school, it was 16 to 1. Wow. You always heard it's harder to get in veterinary school than medical school. It used to be, and we want a lot more minority veterinarians uh, specifically. So we have another thing called Top Vets, Talk Pets which is of the 15 correspondents, 10 are women, 5 are men, 3 black, 2 Hispanic, 1 Asian, 1 openly LGBTQ. So they can see themselves in this. Third thing is to not lose relevance and share of mind with people that want to go to a Martha Stewart, the pet expert for Amazon, or Jeff Palmer, Angry Cat, or Doug the Pug, hawking foods and CBD oils, and they're the pet health expert or the pet store employee. And the last thing is access to care. 
Veterinary medicine is really a bunch of privileged people providing products and services to privileged people who have privileged pets. And 50% of the population, even though veterinary medicine is not, that's one of the reasons why there's only 1.4 applicants. It's a very poor profession to be in if you want to make a lot of money. So while it seems like, oh my God, it's so high, it's actually not a very good economic model. But so we're not, the vet's not charging too much, but what we charge is too much for 50% of the population. So they don't get care. And these people, uh, I think we, you'd agree, probably need that pet more than the other 50%. You know, sometimes the only thing that holds them together. So there's a bunch of us working on that called the Align Project to figure out how we can provide veterinary services to everyone. You're a plethora of information. Keep doing what you do. And I want to thank Dr. Marty Becker, America's veterinarian, coming on the Unimpressed podcast. And I am John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.